Hi listeners, welcome to Business Line podcast. This is your host Anjana. If you're a football fan, the transfer window is always exciting. When a transfer window opens, we can see our favorite players moving from one club to another. Recently, we have also seen that Lionel Messi moved from PSG to Inter Miami and Ronaldo moved to Al Nazar. In the Indian Super League, the scenario is also not different because Kerala Blasters fan favorite Sahal Abdul Samad moved to Mohan Bagan Super Giants and Edubedia moved from FC Goa to I League club Gogulam Kerala. So, why are the transfers of players a huge business and what exactly goes into the business of football transfers? We present before you a mini podcast series on the economics of football transfers. Over the next 3 days you can listen to experts speaking about the financial planning involved in any transfer deal. In this first episode of the series, I speak to Sardhak Mundel, sports economics lecturer, University of Portsmouth, to get an overall understanding of finances and football transfers. Listen in. So, what is the process of a football transfer? Could you just take us through that? Okay, so there are multiple ways a transfer can work. Of course, one of the famous ways in which Indian clubs transfer their players that's through free transfers. Let's just take it back and let's just say there is a player called player A who wants to move from club X to club Y. and let's say club x and club y are both in a country called country c so if they are in the same country you would just require three signatures so you would basically need club x and club y to agree a transfer fee if there is still some transfer some contract value remaining and you will need the signature of player x on that and then the national association signs it, signs it off and that's it however if it is an international transfer Uh, that's when it gets a bit tricky if it's within the same confederation you'd basically then need the two confederations to liaise with each other as well uh, to get the signatures done and it needs to go through the fifa international transfer system so what do you think what goes into the making of a good football transfer deal so what are the factors that you consider as the best like these factors can be uh, you know can be termed as the best deal or it will encompass a good football transfer deal so what do you feel about it what are the factors that will affect i mean first of all regarding any football transfer deal uh it just doesn't come down to the transfer it comes to what the club is actually looking to get out of that player and uh this is something which i have spoken about tottenham as well before speaking to one of the journalists here and in my opinion and it's just a personal opinion and some of the best clubs i have seen they have started following this uh there are three types of transfer you can make so one is a short term transfer short term recruitment one is a medium term recruitment and one is a long term recruitment so the short term recruitments are you will probably be looking for some say short short gap solutions someone who will just help you achieve your required objectives for that season and you will just move them on 
as soon as their contract is over and you wouldn't mind losing them for free. Now, the medium-term contracts, these are the players who are not quite at their potential yet. They might reach their potential soon or they might not. And they might just work the way your club plays. They might not just at any other club as well. And these medium-term transfers are basically the transfer or forms the maximum transfer income backbones of some of the football clubs. So ideally, you say you buy these players at the age of 21 or 22 when they are just settling in. They have got some experience. They are coming good. They come into your club for about, say, five years or six years. And you sell them off towards the end of their contract to a club for big money and make some profits. Uh, you do not need them again because you can... I mean, it's just like they are good, but they are replaceable. And then there is this long-term player. This, this is basically the player's around whom you build your team. And I wouldn't say there is any age limit of this player. So ideally, it would be someone who is around the age of 18 and 19, who are quite good at 18 and 19. And you see that this is the player around whom, or these are. this is a group of players, a five or six players around whom we want our next 10 or 15 year strategy to be. So that's the long-term recruitment. Now, on the basis of a football transfer, now, Different clubs have got different kinds of players and at the end of every season, the coaches and the data analysts and the board and everyone, they sit down and take a stock of the situation. What do we need? What do we need for next season? Who are going out? Who are coming in? Who might leave? Who we might actually like to sell on and get in someone new for a cheaper value but a better player? So, these are all the kind of things that ideally would make a good transfer on paper, but you do not know unless they actually play on the field because a player can break his leg in the very first training session. Do you find any significant difference between how the transfer takes place in India and in other leagues? I mean, first of all, there is no transfer market in India at all. It has just started. And uh, I believe the... To be very honest, the club owners in the Indian Super League, they do not really know what they are doing in terms of the player transfers. It's just a very uh, nascent league. It's just coming up. Forget about long term. There is even no medium term strategy. There is only short term strategy. You do not think beyond the end of the season apart from certain clubs like Mohan Bagan or Mumbai City Football Club for that matter. And I guess some of that has to do with the financial sustainability of the league in India as well, as well as how the AFC competitions are structured. So, if I'm not wrong, only there are two entrants from India and potentially with the rejig of the entire system, uh, India will not, ha not have a spot in the top AFC com club competitions. So, it doesn't make sense for some of these clubs to, for example, get very high-quality foreigners when you are losing, I wouldn't say losing, I would say bleeding 20 crores a season and you are not making any of that money back because you can't attract crowds. 
and you can't attract crowds because you are not good enough. People do not like to see you play. That's probably why the transfer market in the Indian Super League is not very developed. And another problem which I have figured out when I spoke to a number of people who work in the in this Indian club scenario is that there is this control over control of control of agents over different clubs uh, and it's quite possible for you to see when you go to transfer market just look at some of the clubs i am not going to name any clubs because i don't want any legal trouble uh, some of the indian clubs and look at don't look at the players look at the agencies they are signing from they are signing players like 7 8 10 players from the same agency and out of those 10 players probably only one of them is playing for the first team. The nine of them are just there because it's like, if you want him, you have to take the other nine as well. So that's some of the problems that is that is existing with the agents. The Indian agent agency sector is not really regulated by the AIFF as such. It hasn't been so far, but with the new FIFA exams and everything that has come in, I guess things will change. So this is another question that we all have in our mind. How do you decide upon someone's transfer value? Can't really decide someone's transfer value. It's basically like how much is someone willing to pay for it? If, for example, say if I if I have got a player, say X, who is injured out for ten months for the entire season, and say another club comes in and says, "Oh, I am going to give you fifty crores for this player," I'm like, "Yeah, give me. I will take it," and there is no way to decide a transfer value of a given player. There are some ways in which you can calculate the value of your assets uh, and players are counted as intangible assets. So you can calculate on the basis of what is the value that is remaining on their contract, uh, how much you are paying them. You can have a calculation on the basis of that. There are some frameworks which take in account uh, the statistics from previous seasons as well. And there is one good framework that has been developed by Laurie Shaw. So Laurie Shaw is the head of data analytics in Manchester City. So he basically uh, calculated it to the players' wages. So it's basically uh, the wage should be equals to 19.4 multiplied by the value of the player into square value, square value of the There are also different ways in which different clubs value a player's uh, the only way you can value a player is what's the net book value of the player, how much value the player has remaining, because the accounting system doesn't allow for anything more. But there are different ways in which Manchester United values the player as well. They take into account the media rights and the image rights that goes on the social media and everything else as well to put the value of the player. So they also put in account, okay, how much this player is generating on the social media through the club accounts and they have got various AI tools to do that something which not a lot of clubs have yet adapted to so that was some that was my next question actually so while I was de- doing my research for this particular story this is something that I came across like TV, TV revenues merchandise all this will be a part of you know while making a deal so I think that observation is right then this has been since the 1984s. I mean, we all yeah. know the first athlete who basically got a revenue out of uh, his merchandise is Michael Jordan through the Air Jordans. Uh, and uh, 
I am like, okay, this absolutely needs to be there because if a club is making money by selling the rights of the player, the image rights of the player, uh, the player definitely needs to get some value out of it. It usually isn't just attached to the player's wages and the transfer value. It usually is sometimes attached to just separate image rights clauses. So, for example, say a player is saying, okay, you are earning £50,000 a week. That's your basic salary. This is your appearance fees and all this stuff. Okay, but now if you make appearance in this social media events, we will give you 1 million per event or 500,000 per event. Or if you make this social media post on behalf of the sponsor, the sponsor will pay you this amount. So this usually is not just attached to the wages. These are usually separate and some players like to keep it separate because they just want to say, okay, if I do not feel like doing it, I do not want to do it. And I do not want to attach it to the wages and clauses of my contract for that matter. Now, the question that I had in my mind was that, uh, so we have seen a drastic change when it comes to Cristiano moving to Al Nazar, And we also had um, Messi moving to Inter Miami. And we had seen that kind of a trend where people are moving out of just, you know, their comfort zone and, you know, great playing players are moving to different leagues in new countries altogether. So what can be the core reason behind it? Is it all about money? I mean, definitely money plays a factor in all of that. And after dedicating so many years to the top league, I mean, like, of course, players like Messi and Ronaldo have earned that sort of money. But for example, some of the players like Ruben Neves, who, who is also playing in Saudi Arabia, if I'm not wrong. So the amount of money they are getting is life-changing through that contract. And I do not see anything wrong. So, for example, if an Indian club is willing to play that sort of money for that sort of player, happy to have him because it would just improve the quality of the football. What I think what is happening at Saudi Arabia uh, is uh, they are kind of uh, replicating the strategy that has been used by Japan in the lead-up to the 2002 World Cup and in their bid. Uh, so Japan, we we know Japan is one of the powerhouses of Asian football right now, but it was not the case. I believe before 2002, they have never qualified for the World Cup. After the 1994 World Cup, in the J-League, the J-League basically signed 11 players of the national team of the Brazil team that won the World Cup and there are a lot of other players. So they improved the capability of the league and they basically, although Japan didn't qualify for the World Cup, that basically made sure that there were eyeballs on that league and that proved that, okay, the quality of the football is good. Maybe the nation can really host the World Cup and it would give them a springboard to become a real force. And Although Saudi Arabia has qualified for the World Cup, they have defeated Argentina as well. And I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be allowed to host the World Cup. I mean, of course, there are other issues which different organizations have spoken. And I'm sure like those things can be sorted out separately. But there is no reason why Saudi Arabia can't host the World Cup. We have seen Qatar do it. And honestly, 2022 was one of the best World Cups in terms of how it was hosted that I have seen. Uh, so there is no reason. And it is again going to be a joint bid, if I'm not wrong, between Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and some other country, probably Morocco or Turkey. I don't know for that matter. But this footballing strategy is entirely related to uh, Saudi Arabia, improving Saudi Arabia's image 
as they lead up to build the 20 bid for the 2030 world cup thank you so much sardak it was a pleasure talking to you listeners thank you for tuning in we will be back with the second episode of the series tomorrow till then this is your host anjana signing off <laughs>